podcast called uh, Dub Jellyson Podcast. He probably doesn't remember this at all. Yeah, we work together. It's easy. This is kind of real. I call it shit. And so it's really cool to get to be a part of that. Hey, you know how it is, bro. Hey, when you... You now tune into the biggest ever. We're not here just to take part. We're here to take over. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's crazy. What's up, everyone? We're back with episode 156 of the Dub Jelson Podcast. Today, very special guest, Miss Emily Amen. Emily, how are you? I am doing well. Excited to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, uh, I, I didn't tell you this, but I've, I've been a fan of your work for, for a while now. Um, I know you're kind of new to the game uh, relatively because you just, you're a recent graduate of Northwestern just a few years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, ever since you joined BT and I've been a fan of your work, so it's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you so much. That that means a lot, especially from, you know, from someone like me who's very new in the industry. It's it's really mm-hmm. ex- exciting and encouraging to hear that. So thank you. Was it hard to kind of find your footing in in this in this sports media world? And I mean, because you're a bit of a Swiss Army knife, you do a little bit of everything. I mean, you I mean, just maybe this just because you're so skilled at what you do. But I mean, you do have your foot in the door of a couple different avenues. Was it hard to kind of find your footing in and find your niche and what you actually wanted to do? Well, first, thank you for calling me a Swiss Army knife because that's some <laughs> that's something that is needed in this industry. I think you know any reporter, journalist, broadcaster can tell you you kind of have to be able to do a little bit of everything to make it in the industry. But to answer your question, yeah, it was definitely hard to find my footing. I graduated in March of 2020, so a beautiful time to try to break into the sports industry. Of course, you know, when there's absolutely no sports going on, no one's hiring there. They, they might say they're hiring, but there was no actual jobs available. So yes, I graduated and it was an absolute mess. I've known since I was 10 years old that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And, and because I played volleyball in college at Northwestern, I didn't have that much time to really try to, you know, get experience, get repetitions, doing what I knew that I wanted to do because I was so committed to volleyball and, you know, having, doing well in school and having a social life. I didn't have time to do all the other stuff that I kind of assumed that I might have time to do once volleyball ended. But when it ended, of course, you know, I graduated March, 2020, there weren't opportunities to be able to do that. There weren't avenues to be able to do that. So yeah, it was it was very hard initially, but I made a commitment to myself that I was not going to take any other job if I didn't at least give broadcasting a shot. So I ended up starting a, a podcast web show called Big Ten Volley Talk, where I essentially would just interview anyone that I knew around Big Ten Volleyball, whether that was players, coaches, alumni, people like that, because I was like, there's no one giving me opportunities. So I'm going to have to try to make something for my own. Yeah. And I mean, that you're certainly qualified to do that. And that's the advantage that you guys as athletes have. Um, I know like Rafael Davis, who works for BTN now. I mean, I wish you would have started his podcast much sooner. And I mean, you can we can go down, up and down the list of, of people that are in the industry now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is hard to try to find those opportunities, even as a college student now, like it's, it still takes a lot for me to to do all this stuff and and get everything done. I can only imagine and being at Northwestern, which is like maybe the best school in the Big Ten in terms of academics, you guys in Purdue, I would say. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because kind of like you're saying, yes, it's, we're at an advantage, but we're also at a disadvantage. Of course, yeah. your advantage because you're around sports, you have the connections and all of that. But yeah. And then again, I don't, I didn't have the time to actually hone in on those skills because as much as I know about sports or volleyball, football, basketball, whatever that may be, I still have to be able to present that in a well-spoken, maybe well-written um, way. So for me, it was, yeah, I needed to get those reps because I knew the sports. That wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. It was more learning how to present myself, how to be on camera, how to speak, little stuff that I, I couldn't learn. But yes, of course, I, I was very much at an advantage and privilege to be able to you know, have the platform and kind of play a sport already to get a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen your stuff where you, you do a lot of like TikTok type stuff. And um, <laughs> I mean, but that's like different from what we've seen over sports media the past, like even the past like five years. Really. Definitely. I definitely. Mean, so did you find, did you have to like kind of force yourself to create new, new ways to create content and, and try to like not do the normal boring, like, oh, and this happened and this happened, yada, yada, yada. Absolutely. I, it's interesting for me. So in college, I actually interned at big 10 network. Um, it was in the social media department that at that time was called new media because social media was so new in the sports landscape. And it's funny for me, or maybe not funny, interesting to see how it's evolved over the past few years. Um, so being there initially, we didn't have any talent in social media. We didn't have any of these sports specific or league me specific reporters hosts doing what we're doing right now. Um, yeah. So, so the avenues have really opened up. There's a lot of even positions, roles, things that didn't exist before, especially in the social media space. So yes, TikTok for me (laughs) is wildly new and I'm being forced way outside my comfort zone to make a lot of this stuff. I'm also I'm not big on TikTok anyway. I, I will scroll for two hours and it just like, I feel like it shoots my brain into oblivion. So I like, I, I don't scroll that much on it, but now I'm being, I don't want to say forced because I do like doing it. It's fun, but I have to make TikToks now uh, uh, talking about sports, but those things, it, you want to grab people's attention. You want to latch onto the fun things. So whether I'm rating something um, people are wearing at uh, the draft or talking about, you know, some big trade that happened, whatever that may be, finding a fun spin to put on it has been a very new thing that I'm still trying to learn. And I think the industry in itself is still trying to figure out and trying to learn what works well, what doesn't like big 10 network just got a TikTok I think last week. So, you know, we're still, feels like everyone's always playing catch up because there's no, um, foundation that has been set like there has been for TV or newspaper mm-hmm. or magazine. Yeah. I mean, and you, you look around, I mean, there's so many different avenues, like if you're successful on Twitter or TikTok or whatever that can open up so many different things. I mean, you can look at Joey Molinaro, who I think with Barstool now. Yeah. Um, he's an, he's another indie guy. I mean, he was doing like impersonations and then yep. <laughs> he, he gets, he gets a job making a bunch of money doing what he loves. And then, um Annie Agar yeah that's what I was gonna say I mean she made her entire career off of being funny and making fun of sport like it's it's people like that where yeah if you can build a following you have a platform for them to just move you into a new role and yeah it's becoming it's becoming a really big deal in in our industry building a following and being present on social media Mm -hmm. and I mean for people I mean it's hard to do that though I've been trying at this for three years and it's, yeah. it's very difficult. It's not easy to uh, 
to try to do all these different things. And then I don't know about you, but I always get bored with the stuff that I'm doing. So I have to change it up. Yeah. Like I can't, I don't know. I can't talk to the same type of guests each, each time. Like people have told me that I should find a niche and only talk about one sport or whatever. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. That's yeah. not how my brain works. I'll get way too bored. I'm, I'm so in the same boat. And I think it's, it's a good thing. It's a good trait to have, you know, wanting to do more, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. You can get comfortable in what you're doing and really good at that one thing. But if you then can't expand on that, if you're not getting uncomfortable doing new things, and I don't think you're growing. And especially Mm -hmm. in this industry, you got to put yourself in situations that are going to make you uncomfortable that you don't know what you're doing. There's so many, you know, situations over the last year or roles that I've had where I said, they give me a microphone and I'm like, here we go. I'm going to give it my best (laughs) shot. I have no idea what I'm actually doing, but then afterwards, nothing's ever as bad as you think it is. You watch back, you listen back and you're like, you know what? I didn't blow that. I I didn't sound terrible, but there's, there's so many things in this industry where if you're not getting uncomfortable, if you're not trying to grow, then you're not going to be as good as your craft as you want to be. Do you watch a lot? I don't, I don't want to call it film, but like, do you watch back some of the stuff that you do and like, kind of oh, yeah. and you're like okay this worked this didn't because like for me and a lot of people that are like in this industry or even comedians artists whatever they we, I hate listening to myself I've never listened to a full one of my podcasts before so I can't yeah. sit through it it's it's I remember starting out I would listen back and would start like cringing and just like sweating and like <laughs> this is so uncomfortable who wants to listen to me I can't even listen to myself but what I've realized and maybe I learned this being a college athlete but the only way to improve is to see what you're doing well and what you're not doing well so yes I watch I watch everything over I make sure every game I watch um, every sideline segment every interview I do I'm rewatching it back seeing what I could have done better critiquing critiquing myself Um, I started working with a talent coach where I basically list out every single thing that I've done over the last week or two. And we watch it over and she rips it apart and tells me, (laughs) you know, do never say this specific word again, or, you know, just critiquing my craft and telling you what I'm doing well and what I can elaborate on or stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I think one of the only ways you're going to get better is seeing what you've done and trying to grow and trying to critique yourself and improve because it's really hard to do if you're not seeing what you've done. You know, you can record something or do a segment on TV and, you know, you kind of know how it was in the moment, but watching it back, there's little things that you might not have picked up on that you can improve. Mm -hmm. Is that a typical thing, a a talent coach? I've never even heard of that. You know, I hadn't learned about it until a few months ago, but a few people that I've worked with at Big Ten Network um, started using one. And I, I would say I'm still pretty young to be doing it, but like, I, I just want to be the best that I can be at what I'm doing. So whether that's interviewing, whether that's being an analyst, like I, I just want to be, I want to be the best. I want to be so good. And I can't do that on my own. It's like, I mean, think about within athletics, no one's LeBron doesn't become LeBron. If you didn't have a coach, like he, you have the talent, you might have the instincts and whatever that may be the foundation, but someone has to teach you how to do stuff. And for me, that was something I, I thought was really important, especially early on. I want to, I want to learn how to improve my craft and be better and find out ways to improve that. I might not be able to notice myself. Mm-hmm. And so like, you, I mean, you mentioned some of the people you worked with at BT and do you kind of bounce ideas off of each other, try to help each other out in terms of creating that content and like doing better? 
Yeah. Like someone, um, the other day, one of our new play-by-play guys, he sent me a TikTok that he had made. Uh, it was like a day in the life. It was a spring football game. And he was like, what do you think of this? Um, do you have any critiques? Like, what can I improve on for next time? If somehow I'm the, the social media TikTok expert, which I am <laughs> by no means, but yeah, I mean, everyone that I've worked with over at Big Ten Network, and I can only speak for that network, but it is, I mean, it's such a family, everyone, especially, you know, talent wise and um, everyone, everyone wants everyone to do better because we you know when you're elevating your game, if you're helping someone elevate their game, their craft, then it just makes everyone else better. So yeah, I, it's a very collaborative, uh, environment for sure. Mm. And when I was growing up, I, I, I wouldn't have expected that. I would have thought like, oh, everyone's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm worried about me. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get mine and, and do the best that I can do. I, I could care about anybody else, but yeah. like, Talking to people in the industry, it couldn't be further from the truth that mm-hmm. at each difference, but whether it's BTN, I mean, IndyStar here in, in, here in Indianapolis or even ESPN, I mean, those guys all take care of each other. Yeah. And again, I can really only speak for Big Ten Network because this is yeah. really the only network that I've been with. But I, I, from what I've seen and from people I've talked to, even at other networks, I've never met someone in this industry that doesn't want to help you. Um, especially being a woman in the industry, it's already putting boundaries up. And I've never met a woman that has closed any doors, has has been unhelpful. Everyone wants to help. They want you to get better, even if they're doing the same job that you're doing. You know, you might look at it as competition or, oh, I, I don't want her to do well so that I can succeed. But which is not how it works. There's, there's plenty of roles for everyone. And when everyone's doing well and helping people out, like, you know, karma comes around. So I I think when people are are doing good things, helping people out, then it's going to help you out in the long run. Mm -hmm. And talk about being a woman in the sports industry. I mean, we've come a long way as a, as a society (laughs) and, and you guys as, I mean, as a gender, I guess, I don't know what, how I should (laughs) phrase it, but like, I mean, you guys have put in the work, you guys have been having massive success and, and taking advantage of, of the opportunities that are given to you and, and the opportunities that you guys earn. I mean, what do you think of this current state of, of women in sports and kind of how they're perceived by the, by the public? Yeah, I think, as you said, it's come a long way, but we still have so much further to go. Um, you know, sometimes you'll look on a, a panel, for example, like after all these NBA games, you have a panel of five, 50 year old men sitting there. And it's like, this is great. I'm glad that they know basketball, but I know that there's qualified women that deserve a seat at that table. And I think it's, again, something that it's improving. It's way better from when even I was younger or way better from even when I was in college, like four years ago, it's, it's improving, but we still have so, so, so much more to go, you know, as a woman in the industry, you have to work that much harder, be that much better at your job than someone who might be in the same position that is a man, because you're automatically going to probably look down on and have to prove yourself a little bit more, especially in roles where you're covering men's sports, because viewers and fans can be so ruthless um, about what they think should be on TV and who who they think should know the most. Um, and I mean, I can tell you there's, 90% of play-by-play people out there didn't play collegiate sports. They're just good at their sport. You know, I, I've met so many incredible play-by-play, you know, people that never played a sport in college, but they are so good at their job. But, you know, if it's a guy, people don't tend to um, say anything bad about them because they just assume that they know more because they're a man. Whereas if you're a woman, you have to, like I said, just work that much harder and be that much better to even get a seat at the table. Yeah. And plus, I mean, maybe it's because I I know it, but like pl- 
play-by-play and color commentary are two completely different things. Like, so different. If say someone like Joe Buck was doing color commentary, you'd be like, okay, this is a little weird. But they're doing. I mean, they know they know their role, and that's yeah. kind of how I look at it. Like, I'm not gonna go talk about tennis because I don't know what the hell's going on in tennis. <laughs> but like, I know what's going on in football or, or basketball or baseball or whatever. So I kind of stick it stick to my lane and know what I'm talking about. Don't try to step out of line. Do you kind of have to draw that line where you, you talk about the things that you know, but you know what you, you know what you don't know, I guess. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I've learned in the last year, but even in the sports that I do know, so volleyball, you know, yeah. I, I would say I know better than 99% mm-hmm. of people. However, I still get so much anxiety because I feel like I never know enough. I'll go into a game having prepared all week for it. I'm a chronic over-preparer. Like the amount that I, the amount of prep that I do for one game is like unreal. And when I enter a game, I still feel like I don't know enough. And so yes, that transfers to sports that I didn't play, maybe don't know a lot about. So yes, like this spring I was on sidelines for two different football games and I prepared like crazy, like way too, like information overload kind of thing. And at the end of the day, I don't, again, I'm not the analyst. I'm not sitting in the chair. I don't have to know the X's and O's of whatever, you know, schemes and all of that. Like, I don't have to know that. I have to know my storylines. I have to know how to interview and I have to know who I'm interviewing. So there are things like that where, yes, I I have to know my lane. I, in that kind of plays itself out in preparation of like, I don't need to go crazy doing this stuff because I don't have to know that. Um, but yes, you always want to, you know, be prepared going into something, but there's different lanes that different roles you have, you don't have to know everything and that's okay. And I need to be way better about like channeling that and understanding Mm -hmm. that, because again, I, I put, you put so much pressure on yourself in this industry of trying to know everything, even if, you think you might know more than most people, but it's something that's always kind of going to be there. And you kind of have to figure out a way to, you know, deal with it and plan around it rather than just um, completely ignoring it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I was going to mention that there are instances where like you're a volleyball player, so you're going to know volleyball. Mm -hmm. So like, that's, that's, that's a non-issue. And then I think it's cool to see people like Candace Parker, who's on the, it's not NBA on TNT. It's like the Bleacher Report version mm-hmm. of it or, or whatever. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I enjoy her. And then Chinny's on the NBA sometimes. And then um, they have like Doris Burke is doing the NBA. And yeah. there's so many different women that are opening, opening more lanes and, and keep pushing that envelope. Yeah. And it's it's so it's so cool to see. And I, I mentioned it earlier, but growing up, there weren't women in those roles. You know, you might've had a Doris Burke or a Holly Rowe doing stuff on the sidelines, but you're seeing women in the analyst seat. You're seeing women in the play-by-play seat, which is somewhere that we haven't really seen women before. Um, and growing up, it's it was, you really only saw women as a sideline reporter or maybe a, a host of some sort. But now women are getting so many different opportunities and really big ones that are so important for younger women to see that they can actually be that it's cliche, but it's true. If you see it, you can be it. And growing up, the only thing I thought that I could be was a sideline reporter because that's all I saw. And now, you know, I have the opportunities to sit in the analyst chair, um, to do all these things. I never thought that I would be able to do that. I found out I like a lot more than doing stuff like sideline Mm -hmm. reporting, which I do love, but, um, I think it's it's so important to just have women in those roles so other people can see that it's possible. Yeah, and then you have someone like Mina Kimes who's on NFL Live every day. Yeah. 
and just dishing out facts and <laughs> I mean, she's amazing. She's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it's so fun to see. I mean, you know, years ago and you have someone like Cam Newton talking trash mm-hmm. about how it's funny that a girl knows anything about routes. And it's like, it's, it's her job to know about routes. She's actually supposed to, I would be shocked if she didn't. So yes, seeing someone like Mina Kimes out there spitting facts about, you know, how X, Y, Z does in the pocket and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's so fun to see because it's not something that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people on social media are the ones that are like, like, I didn't play college football or NFL football. Like, that's that's the most of the people on Twitter that are coming at you guys. So it's like yeah. we're equal. And I mean, you guys are more are more qualified for it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's dork people on. Are- People are getting paid big bucks to know what they're talking about. They're not just going to, you know, spew some crap that they don't know. It's their job to talk about it. And yeah, people on social media, I mean, you get like at the end of the day, you got to tune it out. It's like these people have no lives. They're they're probably really sad sitting there about X, Y, Z happened in their day and they just want to reflect it onto you. So it's like you got to just tune it out, especially as a woman. It's like, I'm don't tell me what I can and can't wear. Don't care. Don't want to hear it. I would love to see how you dress. Like it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, how, how often do you get those? Like, mess- I don't, I don't want you to get into like what they say or anything, but <laughs> cause I'm sure there's some bad things in there, but how often do you get those like messages or, or tweets or, and things like that? Honestly, not too often, but I think that's because I'm still like, I'm still starting out. No one knows who I am. Um, I think the volleyball community really respects me because I know that I, I know what I'm talking about and I haven't yeah. been in too many of um, those other lanes um, on football games or on basketball games to draw from a bigger audience. So for me, it's it's not bad. Um, I, you know, the occasional whatever comes up, but it's, it's really not that bad, but I, I mean, I hope down the road when I'm doing bigger events and have a bigger audience. Yeah, I, I don't want to say I hope the hate comes, but if the hate's coming, I know I'm doing something right. Mm, they don't hate the okay ones. They only hate the great Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. That's what I keep saying. Um, I mean, in this in that sports media world, is there anyone that you've kind of looked up to uh, maybe when you were little? Because I remember you said um, ever since you were 10, you wanted to, to get into this. Is there anyone you've looked up to or, or been mentored since you got in? Yeah. I mean, growing up again, there weren't too many people to really look at. I remember really liking, you know, the classic Aaron Andrews, someone that was really fun on air. What I, what I liked about her was, yeah, she was really good at being a sideline reporter and being a host. Um, but I liked the way that she infused her personality into stuff. I think there's so many women in the industry that are really good at their job, but I like when people show their personality. And of course it's something that you have to learn over time. Like even for me, just starting out, it's really easy for me to get in like just tunnel like reporter mode and not want to show my personality. But then I have to think like, this is why they want me out there. They want me out there because I'm Emily, not because I'm a reporter that can, you know, talk and do stuff. They, they want to see my personality. So yeah, growing up, I think that's something that I remember watching from Aaron Andrews that I really, really liked. And now, I mean, now I, I just, I love I love the trailblazers. I love people like Elle Duncan on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Like I love that she shows her personality so much and is, is funny and, and obviously very good at her job. Um, but on a, on a more like intimate personal note, I mean, someone like Megan McEwen over at big 10 network, she's been a, an incredible mentor for me since I came out of college um, over the last like two years or so. She's, she's really helped me out and um, guiding me, to take certain opportunities, to maybe avoid certain ones, to 
you know, watch some of my video and help me out when I didn't know anything about anything. Um, and then guide me, whether that's like with contract stuff or whatever mm -hmm. that may be, she has been such an incredible resource and I think she's damn good at her job. So yeah, she's someone that now I really look up to and, and consider a good friend. Mm, I had her on this was blah, 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 like last year, I think she's awesome. Both awesome. with the uh, Northwestern girls too. Yeah. <laughs> cats. <laughs> Um, I mean, how cool is it to, I know like in the NFL, they talk about that, like NFL fraternity or whatever. How cool is it to be a part of that sorority of, of women in sports? And I mean, cause you guys all rally around each other and, and have each other's backs no matter what. Yeah. I, again, like I was saying there, I've never met a woman in this industry that I didn't absolutely love that wouldn't drop everything to help me out. Um, and for me, I, I really try to kind of send that on and help out any college student, you know, that DMs me or whatever that may be. Like, I, I really think it's important to uplift and empower and help out, give advice to whatever that may be any, any woman in the industry that wants it, whether that's someone that's older or younger than you. Um, it really is a tight community because there are such specific things and scenarios that really only women in sports deal with. And I mean, I'm privileged to be a white woman in sports where I might get opportunities that a black person, a black woman in sport might not get. Um, so I, I'm very well aware of that. And I think it's important to use that privilege wisely to stand on a platform and advocate for those women that might not have those same opportunities that have had a harder time that have had to work twice as hard as I've had to just have a seat at the table. Um, but yeah, again, it is, it is such a, it is a great, like you said, sorority of women to be a part of. And, and I'm so, I'm so proud to be a part of it. You know, it's, I know that it's not easy to be a woman in this industry. Um, I learned that from a very young age, just, you know, watching what people might have to deal with when I was little, but I think, like I said, we're headed in the right direction, but we still have a, we still have a ways to go. Mm -hmm. And what are those, what do you think those next steps should be? Um, just continuing to establish your guys selves in, in the sports world? Yeah, I think just, again, getting more seats at the table. I think there are very qualified women that deserve a seat at the table and many um, different situations, whether that's NFL football, whether that's, you know, NBA or, or men's basketball. I think there's so many women that are so great at their job that know so much and bring a lot. And I think it's, it's disheartening to turn on my TV and see five grown men sitting at a panel with no women next to them. Like there's just so many qualified women that deserve to be there and no, no shame to the people that of course, like, you know, someone like Shaq or like whoever who obviously played, they know these people very well. Um, but I think moving forward, there's so many great women that should deserve a seat at the table and like eventually would love to see 50, 50 representation. Um, although I don't, I don't see that coming for a very long time. We'll see though. Mm -hmm. And my issue, I mean, I don't want to call it an issue. Like when, when there's someone like Shaq or Charles Barkley or Kenny Smith, I mean, those guys deserve to be up there 1000%. Yes. But what's different between someone who's been in the industry 20 years, come up written about, I mean, all different types of sports and teams and leagues or whatever. And someone like Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless or Max Kellerman, like they all, all you guys are equal. You guys have the same credentials, in my opinion, because you guys, yeah. it's not taking away from an athlete who, who's been there, done that and can give that certain um, insight, I guess. Totally. I think 
for me, the reason why you see so many of these older men, um, like kind of only in the industry, yeah, we're talking about those or, um, yeah, panel with Charles Barkley and Shaq and their whole NBA, whatever Mm. it's the reason that they're there and there's no women there is because there's no women that are old enough to really have been there. And if there are, they're in other roles and they're doing great things and it's awesome, but there really just aren't that many older established women because those doors weren't open to them 20, 30 years ago. And if they were open, there were not many doors open and not that many roles that were being able to fill. Now we're seeing so many women in so many different roles that I would hope 20, 30 years down the line, when my generation gets as old as Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman or Skip Bayless, all these people that we're talking about that are like, just, I mean, I don't want to say a bit older, but like a bit older Mm. that we will have women in those roles, but they're just aren't enough women their age to fill that compared to the amount of men that there are that age in the industry. Yeah. I didn't even think about that though. It's, it's just a time thing. I mean, time, time will play its course. And I think people, the conversation around women in sports is, it is really changing. It's improving. But again, I think it takes time to get women into those roles and it takes really, you know, it takes important progressive people to just open those doors for them. Mm-hmm. And then um, also, I mean, like ESPN's doing that. I think it's called ESPNW, ESPN Women. They had mm-hmm. like a two-hour show the other day. Yep. Just chopping yeah. it up. And then they had uh, a few weeks, or this is probably a couple months ago now, they had the Jazz and the Suns, I believe. They had an all-women ESPN, like the broadcast booth, the people working the cameras, the producers, everybody was women. Yeah, I and I think – it's it's so important to highlight those situations, but I think Lisa Byington, who's the Bucks play-by-play, um, she's kind of said it best. She's a trailblazer in herself, the first women's play-by-play for an NBA team. But she's she's talked about it a lot. Like I hope we get to a point where these aren't headlines. I hope we get to a point where an all-woman crew doesn't even have to be a headline because it's normalized. Um, and I think that is so important in 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 sports in general to yes, highlight those things that are first that are happening right now. But I hope we get to a point where that doesn't have to be a headline. Mm, no doubt. And one thing I wanted to touch on, um, not, not too in depth, but I've seen on social media, you've been really embracing that, um, like the, the movement behind the mental health, the mental health crisis, honestly, that's mm-hmm. going on in our country and all the unfortunate struggles and, and tragedies that we've had in collegiate sports. I mean, why have you made it a point to be such a big supporter of this? Yeah, it's something that I've been a big supporter of for a really, really long time. Um, you know, in a little bit in high school, but I think when I got to college, I it really opened my eyes to the struggles that people really face. And I served on a panel at Northwestern to kind of, it was like health and wellness. We did a lot around mental health. And I just, I really didn't know that it was as big of a deal as it was because no one talked about it. And from being on kind of being an advocate for mental health, it's really opened my eyes to how many people do struggle and how far we have to push the conversation because it's so important. And yeah, like I I just recently moderated a panel um, up in Madison. It was called Tackle the Stigma, where we just wanted to open up a full discussion with some pretty big names like Monte Ball, Chris Borland, um, to open up the conversation around mental health and really show we have to talk about it. It has to be talked about. We, you know, we have to keep pushing the needle and driving that conversation. Mm-hmm, no doubt. And I mean, yeah, I, 
it's that's local to me, but Darius Leonard and the Colts have kind of done a, the same, a similar thing, like kicking the stigma and someone like Kevin Love, who's been at the mm-hmm. pinnacle of sports and they're coming out talking about their experiences. I mean, that's, I think the only way we can change it or, or help keep advocating for it is for these people to keep sharing their stories. And yeah. so these younger kids don't, don't think that they're alone because yeah. Mean, yeah, seen- people, people like Naomi Osaka or Simone mm-hmm. Biles, like massive names that it's like, it's, it's not even become their mission, but they're just saying, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. And that's okay to feel like that. And it's okay to be at the pinnacle of your career. People think you're the best people think you have it all. And we still struggle, you know, people that are, are the best of their, you know, whatever skill they might have ability, they might have the best of the best. They still can feel certain ways about things because it's, it should be normal across the board. Mm-hmm. And I mean, don't, you don't have to go into details, but how often did you have to, were you dealing with some shit in, in college? I mean, you get mid season, you, you can't, you can't take a break or whatever. You just got to push through it. And you got to put it on the back burner and kind of mm-hmm. put on this poker face for your, I mean, maybe not your friends and teammates that I mean, you could have talked to, but for the, for the public. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there were times where like burnout is real. I got real tired real quickly and it didn't really hit me until probably junior year that I, I just like, wasn't feeling great. I, I was lucky enough to not deal with depression or anxiety in a, in a major sense, but little spurts of stuff would, would really happen, especially during season um, when you're just, you don't have a second to breathe in spring season, when you also don't have a second to breathe and playing at a place like Northwestern best athletics, best academics. Um, it really weighs on you. And again, not something I realized until I got to college, but it, it became really important to me to open up that conversation and try to normalize talking about it because that's the only way we're going to push the needle. But yeah, there is a huge stigma surrounding athletes. And I mean, us as a public, we look at these people as like superstars and, mm-hmm. and heroes. And f- I mean, they're human under everything. They're no, no better than me or no better than you, whatever, you know, um, they're, I mean, they're just people at the end of the day. Yeah. We're all, we're all human. Student athletes are also human, no matter how good you think they are. And you guys take it on the shins more than anybody, in my opinion. <laughs> the- yeah. I mean, it's, it's the culture of athletics. You don't want to show weakness. You don't want to um, open up because that's considered weak and you're not considered strong in your sport. And um, it's, it should be considered strong to open up about, about things that you're struggling with. Cause that's way harder than keeping it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. But I mean, like the Purdue Twitter that, I mean, I'm, I'm deep in Purdue Twitter. That's a cesspool sometimes. I don't know if yeah. you go and look at it. Oh, the boards. After a loss. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. My God awful. My boyfriend played um, football at Northwestern and yeah, I would read the stuff that was in his DMS uh, in his mentions after games. And I was like, this, this is ridiculous. Like these like couch coaches are just, I, I, I can't, it, it doesn't, I don't get it. I don't get how people can be that cruel. Yeah. I mean, I've never been one to do that. It's just not, that's not really yeah. wavy to me. Like, you're, it is what, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> you're yeah, on like, your couch. Well, you think about it in terms of like work, it's, t- it's, it's your job to go out there and perform. Sure. But like you have bad days at work. A finance person has a bad day at work. They might mess up a stock trade, blah, blah, blah. You have bad days at work. It happens. So why can't someone have a bad game? It, no one's going to be perfect all the time. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm, no doubt. 
I think it's a good uh, good point to end on. I can't thank <laughs> you enough for coming on. Um, it's been an honor. Best of luck going forward, and and I'm excited to see how your career progresses. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was really exciting, and I'm happy to be on. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you.